to dangle my feet in the water so sweet and revitalized. Look at all your painting. That looks great. Behind us is is this uh, this large painting of a woman from a uh, from a dear friend who passed away a number of years ago, Montana Morrison. Um, I showed at her gallery uh, a number of times, and this was this was a gift to my wife from her. So it's uh, it's a cherished piece. And then the the little black and white piece. There was there was a big fire at an SRO in Lincoln Park back in the early 90s. I want to say 91, I can't, where a number of people passed away. I knew a lot of the firemen who were working that particular incident. And it, it turned very quickly into a recovery operation, which is heartbreaking for, for any yeah. first responder. And uh, and my dad was a fireman for 25 years. So I, I, I did a piece for uh, for one of the firemen and then this was this was one of the sketches that came off of that that was on my on my dad's fireman's wall at at home on this episode i talked with afghan veteran and physician paul brian roach about writing inspiration family youth violence in chicago and ptsd paul is the author of citizen surgeon and the end a story of love and war in the afterlife plus our featured independent music artist cosmic bull it might sound strange, but I've made a change. I no longer play by rules that were made by fools. Maybe this puts me in a sort of place. But I'm feeling touched. From me, what would you rather I see? Yeah, will it take long? Paul Roach, I, I hope you'll indulge me for a few moments at least. The last time we spoke, I referenced something. This is from the latter Roman Empire, AD 354 to 378, by Ammianus Marcellinus perhaps the first ever written memoir. Uh, here, Marcellinus describes a battle in what is today, uh, Eastern Turkey and Armenia. I thought it was appropriate to, uh, to begin our discussion today. And so struggling vigorously while giving up all desire and saving our lives, we were driven back to the high banks of the Tigris. Some of our men driven into the water where it was shallow, locked their arms and so made a stand. Others were carried off by the current and drowned. Some still fighting with the enemy met with various fortune or panic-stricken at the numbers of the barbarians sought the nearest defiles of Mount Taurus. I myself was separated from comrades and while looking around to see what to do, I met with one of the protectores whose thigh was pierced through by an arrow. And while at his entreaty I was trying to pull it out, I found myself surrounded on all sides by Persians, some of whom had passed beyond me. I therefore hastened back with all speed towards the city 
which being placed on high ground is only accessible by one very narrow path on the side on which we are attacked and the path is made narrower still by escarpments of rocks and barriers built on purpose to make the approach more difficult. Here we became mingled with the Persians who were hastening with a run, racing with us to make themselves masters of the higher ground. And still the dawn of the next day, we still stood without moving so closely packed that the bodies of those who were slain were so propped up by the mass that they could not find room to fall to the ground. And a soldier in front of me, whose head was cloven asunder into equal portions by a mighty sword blow, still stood upright like a log being pressed upon all sides. Paul Roach is a physician who served 27 years in the U.S. Navy Medical Corps with multiple combat and non-combat deployments. He is the author of a novel, which we're going to talk about, my friend, The End, and has a second and final production. He is also the author of Citizen Surgeon, an intimate portrayal, a memoir of those tasked with piecing together the bodies torn and scarred in battle. It is a thoroughly readable and powerful first-person account of a slice of reality that few people are privileged to know. Citizen Surgeon also explores an aspect of post-traumatic stress particular to medical technicians and doctors proximate to the field of battle and sometimes within that field itself. It is a must read for those who wish to understand the intimacies of America's longest war and perhaps its greatest lingering foreign policy question. Dr. Roach, I have, I have this pain that won't go away and it starts with a history rushing past us at warp speed and I keep coming back to the powerful perspectives in your book, Citizen Surgeon. What do you recommend, my friend? Oh my gosh. Well, this is uh, so exciting to be part of this podcast. And uh -huh. um, you just introduced so many different topics right now. I don't know which one to go after first. Thank go you ahead. for the invitation, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, this is an opportunity to spend some more time talking about what I think is a, is a brilliant book. And, and then I've, I've just now discovered the end, which, uh, which we're going to talk about in, in some detail. Let's, let's begin here. Because there was an Afghan and Bosnian component to the synagogue hostage takeover in Texas yesterday, uh, and each of us have written memoirs about those respective conflicts, I wonder if, especially in light of where we left the conversation last time with regards to terrorism and pulling out of Af uh, Afghanistan, if you have any thoughts about yesterday's incident. Well, I'm not, I don't know anything other than the headline regarding the incident yesterday. Mm -hmm. I haven't, mm -hmm. uh, I've been, uh, but uh, with respect to the relevance of our engagement, whether it was in Bosnia, which at the time people said, why are we in Bosnia? We don't have any immediate interests in Bosnia, yeah. you know, and, and also in Afghanistan, people are to this day asking, why are we in Afghanistan? It's on the other side of the world. Yeah. What I think is now, especially that we live in this global village, the, the globe, which was infinite is now more like one big fish tank and you can't do something in one side of the fish tank without it affecting the rest of the tank. Yeah. That's my, my, uh, sort of on the face of it kind of uh, response. There, there was a reason that, that I brought that up uh, in regards to your book, but I, I just wanted to say this very quickly. I, I have spoken, I've spoken with jihadists, with people connected to, to Al-Qaeda, who I knew during the Bosnian War became very involved 
with Al-Qaeda affiliates in, in Bosnia. I had a, a, a very unique perspective on being able to, to communicate with him because I knew him when his parents were, were killed, bracketed by Serbian mortar fire. So I, I had that unique perspective. I, I know of, and I've heard jihadists around the world or extremists who reference regularly the Bosnian conflict. So I, 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 I thought it was very relevant in, in this case. And, and that was what animated this woman, Siddiqui, who was picked up in, in Afghanistan for plotting to, to do a, a, a chemical attack in, in New York. Wow. A very, very, with hydrogen cyanide, she was, she was, she was caught with plans and she was, she was ready to, ready to go on that. But she was, she was animated by the genocide of Muslims in Bosnia, which is one of the reasons I went there having grown up on Holocaust, never, you know, never again literature. This time I saw it happening to, to Bosnia's Muslims and, and went there as, as a witness for that very reason. But in regards to your book, there's this aspect of it. There was the young, the young kid who you treated, who, and we, we, we touched upon this earlier in our, our previous conversation, which, that no matter what the Americans did to treat him to save his life, he was, he was so fixated on hatred that it was it was palpable and undeniable. Do you remember the the young man I'm talking about? Oh yes, absolutely. And in fact there were there were several. But I thought I thought that was that was very, very relevant that that at some point you're not going to cut through that amount of hatred or vengeance or disdain. Right. And and you know I I sometimes feel a similar feeling, although it's a very different context. Mm -hmm. When I'm uh, at Cook County Trauma Center in Chicago, mm -hmm. as uh, I'm a volunteer attending there, and I, I um, would take periodic trauma calls, and mm -hmm. the shooting war that's going on in the city isn't entirely so different in, in some aspects. And you're looking for your opening to intervene and, and try to, uh, in some way, shape, or fashion, interrupt the cycle. But you can't find it. Like it's it's not it's not readily apparent where even someone with good intentions and not just intentions, but the mechanisms to deliver good things such as save their life or you still don't catch a foothold and and have necessarily a, an easy route of, of trying to divert the overall momentum of this thing into just an ever repeating cycle of violence. You know, uh, that's very interesting because we're going to have some conversations about arts and violence intervention in the city uh, as, as, a, as an ongoing conversation. People ask me all the time because of the number of grassroots conversations we ha we've had with ex-felons, with ex people, people who, have, who have shot and murdered people, gangbangers, rappers, violence interventionists, all of those people, people ask me how to stem this 
the violence in 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 the city here i'm continually at a loss and and depending on my level of frustration i'll waffle between resignation to greater law enforcement and and harsher penalties and then swing back the other way understanding the nuances and the pressures that a lot of but where is that switch it is and and it is the common switch between between those people those enemies or people who feel that they're there that we are their enemy in Afghanistan and the young people on the streets of Chicago is is there a switch well i think that in in pondering that same kind of question i think that by the time we get to the point of either being a policeman or a uh, investigating a crime or a trauma surgeon addressing the injuries of that crime, we're way too far down the lane. I think yeah. the switch, if it exists, is going to exist in preschool and in families forming and families staying together. I think so this wave has to has to run its course. And, and what we're doing is stopping future waves or mitigating. Yeah, I think of it, my primary role is as a cancer physician. Yeah. And and what happens in cancer is since cells are so extraordinarily small that by the time you've got a collection of cancer cells that's the size of your pinky fingertip, mm-hmm. you know, about a cubic centimeter, there's been about 20 generations of these cancer cells forming. In only 10 more generations, because of geometric growth, yeah. that that one by one by one centimeter cube will be 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters. Mm-hmm. And that's a kilogram of cancer, and that's about enough of any kind of cancer to kill somebody. So by the time you can even detect a cancer when it's a cubic centimeter, you're already two-thirds of the way down the path yeah. of you know this cancer's natural progression. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're trying to intervene at an inherently late point, and that's at a, when it's that small. And I'm trying to find the words to translate that over to like the violence problem, whether you're in downtown Chicago or in Bosnia or Afghanistan. And the violence intervention, I think, has to really evolve toward uh, much, much earlier on the process. Things like after school programs and all that, not to sound too, uh, I really am not a political position here, but Mm -hmm. that's just Mm -hmm. where I've come to see it. You know, a lot of the best cancer treatment we do happens before there was ever a cancer, like smoking cessation or yeah. healthy living. That that really works and you don't need a surgeon to, to fix it then. So is it the same? You know, like by the time I've got this young fella in a, a tent or a, a field hospital and he's already had part of him blown up by my colleagues, <laughs> um, he's not going to forgive me, even if I'm nice and whatever, because yeah, uh, yeah. we're way too far gone for that. But there's no recognition of the the humanity that you're that you're bringing to to that that relationship. Not for that fellow. Okay. But there definitely was very much so for many of the Afghan civilians. And mm-hmm. even there were some of the fighters who were more committed, let's say, than others. And I think a fair number of the fighters were more like day laborers or were just sort of caught up with it. And those people were extremely, it seemed, calm and and receptive to the normal courtesies that we would extend. But when you had 
some of the most intense fighters, you realize that your little bag of tricks wasn't going to do much to persuade them otherwise. I think of, uh, I'm thinking of, of the, the Japanese soldiers in the Pacific during the Second World War who were, were animated through years and years and, and a, yes. a, constant, a, a constant barrage uh, of fear-mongering and hate-mongering of what the the American soldiers, the Allied soldiers, would do to them if they were captured, and and so many of them chose to chose to commit suicide rather than than face that alternative. Oh yeah, I, I just read a book on the Battle of Okinawa, and I uh -huh. read another yeah. uh, fantastic book on the history of the Navy SEALs, and he's a Chicagoan, by the way. Okay. Who, uh, who wrote that? And and I'd read in the past as well, because I was stationed in Okinawa. And, you know, just as there were the Hitler Youth, there was a very parallel and similar program in within Japan to sort of ready an entire population to go on the warpath. They, you know, the Japanese island was limited by being an island mm -hmm. and it needed more base and raw materials. And so the plan at the time was to go get them, <laughs> go on a rampage. And they did it. Yeah, yeah. And to do that, they were consciously engineering an entire generation, just as the Hitler youth were engineered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and what worries me is right now within China, you hear about uh, Xi Jinping putting out rules against what he calls girly men, and he wants only manly men. And uh, of course, we hear we hear that from we hear that from the right all the time here as well. The same the same rhetoric just mirrored back towards China. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, the wussification uh, of of the american male is is a common theme god bless their christian hearts um <laughs> <laughs> so i what i enjoy and, and this is what i'm liking about the podcast is the chance to sort of uh reach out and abstract and and find yeah. commonalities amongst widely disparate periods and places within mm -hmm. history and, and see how they apply to our problems in the face of us right now. Uh, One thing I think is really interesting, if I may, di please. is it okay to digress? Go for it. Is, and I want to explore this notion, but when we invaded Iraq uh, in response, you know, to all the, the intel and whatever else, mm -hmm. uh, and shortly after the initial invasion, there was essentially like the counter response. Mm -hmm. And it was of a new variety. General Stanley McChrystal, it's his book. Right. In reading his book on it, they had a horrible time because of cellular technology of trying to pinpoint the enemy and, and figure out their next attack. It was a little bit like the problem in that uh, Tom Cruise movie when he's sleeping. What's that one called? When the people are sleeping and they're trying to predict uh, bad problems that are about to happen. Not minority. Minor My, yeah. So, oh, okay. Yeah. That was, which yeah. Is a, a brilliant. So the reality sort of re re recapitulates it because suddenly the Al Qaeda networks and, and, and the others, the Bada Brigade and whoever, they could materialize suddenly and then commit whatever, you know, bombing or whatever they were going to do and then mm -hmm. disperse back into the crowd. And what you see right now in Chicago is these flash mobs forming and busting down windows, stealing from whether it's the Magnificent Mile or right. the uh, Oak Brook Mall or the, the mall up by Skokie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they're using the same technology, basically. You know, we're, 
we're we're going to suddenly all communicate with uh, I'll, cell phones. I'll go then, you one better and say yeah. that I saw um, because I was very involved with the Occupy movement, but I saw that technology growing out of of the Occupy movement as a means of uh, of busting police blockade. Wow. And so that was that was 2000, 2011. But that was that was a very substantial tactic back then. Okay, where he's talking about how they had to uh, uh, confront and how they essentially overcame it with a command and control approach. But uh, uh, well, that's interesting. It's it's on both sides. I have to ask about your novel the end oh uh, please do a story of love and war in the afterlife the moment i read the the synopsis i thought first first of all it's got to be a movie <laughs> second secondly it, it's it's an outstanding innovative angle that i don't i don't know has has it has it been done except maybe in in ancient literature where you know where the where the gods fight each other in the afterlife uh, but talk about give us a, a brief synopsis of the end and uh and and then uh the the really interesting place where you wrote it okay so i wrote it i was in afghanistan mm-hmm. and we were prepping for what was called the main event of the main event which was the the country in the south the the taliban was formed in the province of kandahar Mm-hmm. And the province next to that is Helmand province. Helmand. And, and, and again, the Taliban was formed in response to the warlords uh, who then were formed in response to the Russian occupation, mm-hmm. which was violent. Um, so this group of people had known nothing but, you know, 20 years of uh, horrible, horrible chaos and devastation. Yeah. They emerged out of that. They put down the warlords and then they took over the country, but they were unable to govern. You know, as it wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they we're in actually roughly the same situation today there, by the way. So we're in southern Afghanistan getting ready to be the trauma surgery, combat surgery field hospitals for this major offensive, which is going to be rough. Mm-hmm. It was uh, spearheaded by the U.S. Marines, but it also had our, our NATO or ISAF partners, such as uh, a lot of Brits. Uh, and then there were others as well, Danish troops and Estonian and and uh, others, uh, lots and, and lots of Afghans, lots of Afghans. So it was a very stressful time. And there was also in the evenings, especially I had time on my hands because there's no infrastructure within Afghanistan and not a lot of technology. The fighting really happened during the day. Mm-hmm. So if you're a trauma surgeon, that's very convenient. Most of the time <laughs> in, in the city, the fighting happens at night. Uh, so you're up all night. So in the evenings I would write and I was not very, a little bit, let's just say, worried that, that we would be a target, but we were very isolated and, and roughly safe. So that wasn't the component of my, my worry. As a trauma surgeon, I was much more in the rear with the gear, as they say. Mm-hmm. But the stresses of it, and I was uh, very worried about us uh, performing well. Um, you've got these people dedicating their lives to this effort and we're going to try to save them within a tent writing i became a great way for me to calm down and to escape so i had always wanted to get something to my children to the effect of you know what i believe in when my father passed away i was uh 18 
Mm-hmm. And he was a psychiatrist and he had been a Navy physician mm-hmm. as well in the Korean War. And I asked him, you know, dad, do you believe in God? And he looked at me because we were raised Catholic and, and I remained Catholic. And he said, Paul, I, I believe there's a purpose. I believe there's a purpose. And that's as far as he would go because he he was uh, one of those intellectuals. Mm-hmm. But we went to church and, and everything. And that's what this book, The End, is ultimately about. And I used the end. I wanted to call it the purpose, uh, but that wasn't a good title. And then the end turns out not to be the best title you can choose if you plan on writing a second book. What do you call it? <laughs> but so the, that's the what end the book, too, right? So the book is, and it and it stems from a Jesuit education where you learn about Roman gods, and you mm-hmm. learn about uh, different ways of looking at the the Christian myth, the Catholic faith system, the interplay, and what is what is the point of all of this? Really, mm-hmm. why why are we existing? So that is the fundamental driver of what the end is about. I wanted to write something for my kids and for anybody who wants to read it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, my say it without saying it reason for wh- what do I think? How do I interpret all of these? religions and 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 what is the point of our species on this on this planet that's that's so interesting i i saw the first the first the first view i had of of the book is was that it was it was kind of an an action adventure in heaven yeah uh, that's exactly between, what between it is. heaven and hell yeah. sort of yeah. yeah yeah all right that's exactly what it is but that's the allegory and uh, i'm an action adventure kind of like reader uh, and writer it, i couldn't in a thousand years write anything else it you know i didn't know what how i would write but this is dungeons and dragons as a kid and what you know just sort of active imagination type of stuff so i'm going to give um, people a little taste of it here for frank o'rourke getting killed in a helicopter crash in afghanistan was actually just the beginning uh, upon arriving at the unofficial headquarters of the secret ops group, is it the Rues? Yes. Uh, we met up with his father, Fran, who fought in a new, even bigger war between God and the devil. In this unique position as a brain-dead Marine on life support, he and the other Rue operatives are able to infiltrate the ranks of the evil forces intent on interfering with the birth of a new messiah. There's 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 such an astounding opportunity there <laughs> yeah. for well the the challenge of world building uh, was uh extreme. It 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 was really really hard to create a universe that doesn't exist. And some guiding principles there is one there's an uh, I'm an Irish American type of background, you know, third generation or so. There's an Irish expression, may you be in heaven an hour before the devil knows you're dead. Uh-huh. And so that is what gave me the idea of having Fran O'Rourke brain dead. Uh, and as a physician, sometimes you do have people and you can't really tell if they're alive and we're just keeping them alive. Right, Where's right. their spirit? And, and watching people as they, as they pass away, there is a, a distinct moment where they go from alive to dead. You know, when there's not interfered with by uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation or or ventilators or, or uh, ACLS type stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there is a moment where it changes. And if you're, especially if you're a Catholic or some other religious thing, it, it, it is reasonable. And I believe it, that we have spirits and the spirit's gone. Mm-hmm. So trying to conceptualize that. So I've got this uh, lead character who is brain dead and his spirit leaves his body, but the devil doesn't know it yet. 
because the devil thinks, you know, the devil keeps account of all these things as well. So he becomes the ideal spirit to be a double agent. That's how he gets recruited. He is, after course, uh, of course, Irish. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, you, they say write what you know. So, <laughs> you know, right. and, uh, and if you want to criticize the book for having too many Irish people in it, that's just fine. It was the best I could do there. So his spirit enters heaven. Uh -huh. And they, the force, the special ops team quickly realizes a great opportunity that, that Fran isn't known by the enemy to have passed away yet. So mm -hmm. he could slip mm -hmm. in as a, as a, uh, but he doesn't want to because he just got destroyed in a crash and he's kind of traumatized. Mm -hmm. uh, so he needs some convincing and, and there it begins. And if I may, should I say yeah. this? I suppose should go for it. The mission that he's there, he's, they know the devil is up to something big. They've got enough uh, signals, intel, or whatnot to figure that one out. They don't know what it is. So he's got to go find out what it is. And it discovers that, that there's a new Messiah who's about to be born, and the devil's trying to capture that soul for his own. And so they have to go block that. I, I'm a nominal Christian, Christian in name only, I suppose, but uh, or Catholic rather. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to read this book. Oh, I think you'd like it uh, if, if you like sort of wild, crazy books that you can't predict the next chapter. Yes. I think yes. if the Pope, if the Pope read this book, I'd be in a lot of trouble because I took a fair <laughs> few number of liberties, but uh, I had to personalize the whole thing in order to uh, have it make sense for me. Yeah. And, uh, and although there is a lot of, uh, I don't know this, this Pope, by the way, I just saw him coming out of a record store. I, I don't know what he bought, but maybe he's, he's kind of hip. He's a, by far the best Pope of my life. Yeah. Well, I, I think go. he's got my full support. Yeah. I wanted because we we we've only got about uh, about twenty minutes, and I wanted to get okay. into the memoir, yeah. especially the the aspect of of dealing with with post traumatic stress for from uh, from a uh, from a medical technician standpoint, mm -hmm. and and the the PTSD or the or the the particular aspect of PTSD that uh, do 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 you have uh, flashbacks or or do you suffer from from effects of PTSD from your time in Afghanistan? So that's a great question. And the short answer is I have or had something. Still okay. have it. Okay. Um, and so I I did the to backtrack, I never had the type of experience that the infantry have, for example, or mm -hmm. the different type of experience that maybe the aviation team has. Uh, I wasn't facing my own, I wasn't too worried about my own safety. Okay. And I didn't have to make uh, many of those extraordinary decisions that people have to make. But you seconds. did, you did. And you talk about this in the book, you did have to make some extraordinary decisions about life and death. Yes. Yeah. And, and that is kind of the same. You That's have good. limited capabilities of treating people. You yeah. were brought up in a system where for example, if I'm in downtown Chicago, mm -hmm. I never worry about how much blood is in the blood bank. Or, you know, I've got a, a young kid with a brain injury. Never for a moment do I have to worry that we're going to have to cut them off because there's not enough supplies. So you go from one world to a different world and the rules change in the different world. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand that and adjust to it. And so that kind of psychological rearrangement causes a lot of internal stress. And, and so I, I came home and, uh, stress, stress is stress. And, yeah. and, 
you know, one of the first, and, and, and I, I talk about this in my memoir, uh, Everything for Love, where I'm listening to my wife's family in, in, their, in their living room um, in Sarajevo during the siege. They're using their, their shared trauma, which, which any, any casual observer would be absolutely horrified to hear those details. My sister-in-law f- getting frustrated and flipping off a, 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 a sniper on the hillside that just blew, literally blew off the head of the, of the guy next to her and walking across an open area with her, with her middle fingers up in the air. Um, you know, those things, but they, but then I, then, then I, as I listened, they weren't trying to outdo one another. They were commiserating. And, and, and I think, I think for, for people in, in our society who, who aren't, uh, I keep using this word, but I, I, I like it today. It's the word of the day, proximate to uh, to violence or extreme violence we it, it's it's easy to to compete with with your trauma over someone else's trauma which which is um which is antithetical to to building society and building con- conversation and getting over those things because you fall yeah. back into your into your, your particular trenches. So I'm very reticent, and, and this also goes back to our conversation about young people on the south side, on the west side of the city, who are who are engaged in in violence. My first reaction when I came back home in 1994 from the war was an argument with a kid on a, on a basketball court on the northwest side at two o'clock in the morning and, and he's talking about yeah well we're at war here too and my reaction was you don't get to call it war if you can go home to a full refrigerator and a soft bed and blah, blah. but but that is is flipping the whole issue of of physical and emotional stress and how it's manifested in each of us uh, and taking taking that curative conversation or that leveling conversation away from people does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think it does. It's it's very hard to translate stress is stress. In other yeah, words. yeah. There's there's yeah. this underlying whether you're uh, there or here, you still have the heartbreak and the psycho- psychological absolutely fracturing. Absolutely that can happen. And, and so for us, you know, when we were in the, in that battle space and this was, you know, our group was yeah, the second yeah. uh, Marine Expeditionary Brigade. We were the only group in the entire Afghan conflict to receive a presidential unit citation, mm-hmm. which is the highest group award you can get. And uh, that was a 10,000 person group and it was for this effort. So this mm-hmm. was a big, mm-hmm. big intense uh, thing. And you know, it was, uh, it was an incredible amount of stress and you have this great yeah, sense yeah. of responsibility. Yeah. It's a little different when you're out there operating on, on these people than when you're at home. And, and I, I can't, uh, I, I put everything into the book to try to explain the difference and mm-hmm. hopefully it comes through. But what you are left with when you come home is, how can I put it? It's almost like, you know, that this was probably the most intense moment of your life. Yeah. You know, your professional life. Yeah. And, and you, you keep going over it in your head and you, you hope that everything you did was, was the best you could possibly do. And mm-hmm. you'd been training for it forever. And, and you hope you came through and, and did good for the universe. And you know that it didn't always work out so well. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so for me, the things that hit me the hardest, I think, 
were the injured children, which always happens yeah. in any conflict. Yeah. And I hadn't really been prepared for that. So in the book, you'll see a lot about the children. Yes. Uh, and also, I was reluctant. I didn't want in the writing of the book to in any way seem like I was indulging. Mm -hmm. So I, it, for the IED injuries, even though we had loads of them, I only wrote about a few uh, because I wanted to give different examples of, of things. And I didn't want to seem to wallow in any one particular. And I wanted the other, what I hope came through is uh, I wanted to sort of preserve the dignity of the troops and their sacrifice and that mm -hmm. this is their sacrifice. It's not about me, the doc at all. Hopefully it really shouldn't be, but I did put in that about the post-traumatic uh, adjustment, you know, and I, and that's what I, I did see some help and, and try to figure out what were the things I was feeling. And they didn't call it post-traumatic stress disorder, which is reassuring. They said it's adjustment. It's adjusting. That's the hard part. And, you know, you go through your life and everything's great and you're fine. And then suddenly, boom, little things can snap you into that other world. Yeah. And, uh, and it's quite true. It's quite real. And, and you feel it. Was was writing the memoir a uh, a means of of therapy? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had to be written, and uh, it didn't have to be published, but it had to be written. It had to be written. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it really helps because you know whether it's this or whatever trauma in your own life, you have to go through it and dissect it out to the very best of your ability. Whether that's yeah. through writing or music or painting or or talking or however you do it. I think for most of us, burying it and never going back there isn't a super successful strategy. It might work, but I think it does tend to seep out. You know what I mean? It does. It does. It <laughs> out. Uh, my, my, my brother did two tours in Afghanistan, and he swears up and down that he does not suffer from post-traumatic stress. And, and as he does that, his knee is jumping up and down and his, his fingers are fidgeting. Um, it, it comes out and it's the, the, the thing that, that I always talk about when I, when I talk about it with people is the individual nature of a post-traumatic stress and, and how it's manifested is, is completely individual. And that post-traumatic stress, it could be, I imagine, you know, you're talking about your, I think your father was a fireman responding to, yep. uh, yeah. you know, you're a fireman, you're a policeman, you're, Maybe you're a teacher and your 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 whole orientation is yeah. around something other than you. You are trying to save the people of this city from fires. You're trying to save these children and help them get an education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when you see something, when something happens and and you're a complete failure at it, maybe not even for your own reasons, but it just it was bigger than you. There's a trauma there and and you're left to deal with it. And I think uh, my brother, incidentally. He was Illinois State Police, mm -hmm. and he uh, he ran a metropolitan engagement group, you know, where he was undercover for a long time. Mm -hmm. He was Zone One Commander of Chicago and Suburbs. He is just opening up a uh, sort of post-traumatic stress retreat center out near Quad Cities uh, for police and fire for exactly this kind of thing. I think that's uh, that's long overdue. Yeah, Cornerstone Retreat Center, and and what it's going to be for his his uh, wife. Uh, studied and, and be, has become a, a preacher. She's an ordained minister. And it's going to be a therapeutic area for the police and firemen of the state, you know, for mm -hmm. all the traumas that they've gone through. I'm, uh, I'm working on a, uh, on a screenplay um, where uh, with the subtext is uh, 
post-traumatic stress. It takes place out west in Wyoming and Civil War. It, it's it's an important conversation that is is really long overdue and uh, good good on you for for taking it on uh, as uh, as part of of your book, Citizen Surgeon. Thank you. Yeah. My thought is you've got that that post-traumatic, let's just call it energy. Uh-huh. And and if you take that energy and take control of it in one way or another, you can use it for something fruitful. If that energy is too strong and it's overpowering, or if you don't have the chance, then it might take you over. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I feel fortunate in the sense that whatever dose of energy I received, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't so intense that I, I fell apart, but I writing that book and, and, and staying engaged and talking with you and all kinds of other efforts like that. I think that's a direct reflection of those events and then what you try to do with your life after you've been through them. And I think that might, with your experience in Sarajevo, maybe, maybe an applicable concept as well. Like you, you were in this horrible event and then how do you go back to normal life after? Indeed. It's actually, actually the, uh, the, the subtext of uh, of my first novel, Broken, about a, a soldier returning home from Afghanistan to a, a, an overbearing father uh, who had passed away while he was he was there. He's he's having to put together his his life again. A, a daughter that he's never met, who was born while he was in Afghanistan, and and trying to trying to fit all this into that that larger narrative. Paul Brian Roach is the author of Citizen Surgeon and the End. A story of love and war in the afterlife. Coming to a theater near you? <laughs> Maybe. And uh, I, I wrote a, a follow-on to the end, just trying to find someone who might want to publish it. But nice, uh, nice. Well, when that happens, you come back and uh, and we'll talk about it. Oh, great! Thank you so much. It's, it's, it's a real honor. And it's such a fun and brilliant concept. Can't believe no one no one has has ever done it yet, but you did it. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Paul. It was such a pleasure talking with you, as always. Oh, I can't wait to see you again. Cheers, mate. Our indie music feature comes from Cosmic Bull, a progressive band based in Chicago. Led by Mark Vickery, Cosmic Bull has released four singles to date. Their first EP will be released in March 2022. You can find all of their great music at cosmicbull.bandcamp.com. This is their latest release, Joe Namath Moment. What you think about now is now too late. No time to think about it. Don't wait. With a face like yours, we can make a scene for the folks at home on that TV screen. Remember, you should know I used to be Mr. So and So. And now you say I ain't got no class. Come.
Thank my guest today, Paul Brian Roach. You can find his books at barnesandnoble.com and at amazon.com.